Hey there, I'm Lauren Hicks, pastor of Pacific Christian Center in Santa Maria, California. Thank you for joining us for today's podcast. It's my prayer that this message strengthens your faith and draws you closer to God. Now enjoy today's message. Go to the Lord in prayer. Tomorrow is Memorial Day, and it is a very important holiday in our country. I said it's a very important holiday in our country, Memorial Day. And uh, there's a lot of things that people do on Memorial Day. It's a day, well, it's a day off work. Everybody likes a day off work. And uh, it's a day for backyard cookouts and days for going to the beach and all those kinds of things. Uh, But tomorrow is a day in our country where we remember and we honor those who gave their life in service for this country. And it's a day that reminds us that freedom is not free. That a great cost and a great price was paid uh, for the freedoms that we enjoy. And can I say the freedoms that we often sadly take for granted uh, in this country. And so I think it would be fitting and proper for us as a church to pray for families across our nation who have lost a loved one while they were serving in our United States military. Those who gave that ultimate sacrifice laid down their lives and prayed for God's comfort and God's peace for their lives. And it's always proper and always the right thing for us to do, to pray for the men and women who serve in our United States military, regardless of what branch or whether they may be here across the country at a base or around the world serving in some capacity. How many think we ought to pray for them? Anybody agree with that? We ought to pray for them. We ought to lift them up in prayer. So why don't we do that right now, right where you're sitting, just bow your hearts with me and let's lift our voices together. Father, thank you, Lord, for this country. And Lord, often uh, we are guilty of expressing our frustrations about this country and maybe the direction that it's going and um, the many problems and the many challenges that we face, and that's just a reality. We do have a lot of problems. But Lord, we are still grateful for the opportunity to be Americans. And we are grateful that we live in this land where we have the opportunity to to live our lives in freedom, to work where we want to work, and to go to church when we want to go to church, and to do what we want to do. We're grateful for this freedom that we have. And yet we know, Lord, that a great price has been paid. So today, Uh, As we are in this Memorial Day weekend, we lift our voices in prayer for so many across the country who are uh, grieving, so many, Lord, who this day brings up memories, precious memories of their loved ones who lost their lives in the service of this country. And so, Jesus, we ask that you on this day would be the Prince of Peace. We ask that you would be the God of all comfort. We ask, Lord, that you would lift up those who are mourning and those who are grieving and those who are suffering. And we pray, O God, that you will be near to them. The Word of God says that you are near to those who have a broken heart. And so we pray, Lord, that you will be near to them and that they would feel your presence and your comfort, Lord, at this time. And we also lift our voices and pray prayer for the men and women serving around the country and around the world in our military today, that you will be with them, that you will guide them and direct them, that you will comfort them and give them peace and give them strength. We pray, Father, for your protection to be upon them. And we ask, Lord, that you'll be near to them. And we pray for our military leaders And even our president, Father, for wisdom that comes from above, wisdom that comes from God, in order to lead and guide and to direct and to make decisions. We pray that you would be with them, we pray. And Lord, as we turn our hearts to your word this morning, we ask that we would have an ear that would hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Today, what is essential is not that we hear the voice of a man, but what is absolutely critical is that we hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. So when we open the pages of the Bible, Lord, we expect to hear your voice, for it is your word to us. Today, I pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to deliver this message. Give me an ability, Lord, that's beyond my own natural ability, a divine ability, Lord, to share this word, a supernatural ability, and divine empowerment by the Holy Spirit to communicate this message. But also, Lord, Anoint our ears to hear, our minds to understand, and our hearts to receive the Word of God. Your Word brings hope and healing and life change, and we believe that it will do this today. Lord, as we conclude our service today, we will share in communion together and remember Jesus and His sacrifice for us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. 
Amen. I hope you brought a Bible with you today. I want to invite you to turn to me in the Old Testament to the book of Psalms, Psalm 142, or maybe you have a Bible app on your smartphone and you would like to power that up at this time. In just a few moments, we're going to read scripture from a wonderful passage in the book of Psalms, Psalm 142. About two weeks ago, God gave me this message and I'm going to share with you today and put it on my heart in such a a forceful way that I knew this was a word from the Lord for us today. I'm so thankful that God still speaks today. Anybody grateful for that? I'm grateful that God speaks to God is not silent, by the way. God is speaking. And uh, the issue, if there's a breakdown in the communication between us and God, the issue is not God. Okay. The issue is us and our ability to listen and to tune in uh, to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And I'm so thankful that when we come together on our Sunday gatherings, whether I bring the word or Pastor Linda or Pastor Moses, or we have a guest speaker bring the word, uh, we're not just pulling out a book off a shelf and find a book of sermons somewhere and try to find something to get through another Sunday. We listen for the voice of the Spirit. We ask God what He would have uh, for us to say, because I can assure you that I have nothing to say to you that can impact your life, but the Word of God can change your life. The Word of God can change your life. So God gave me this message, and I'm calling it a message for the lonely, a message for the lonely. In early 2020, a month before the first wave of COVID-19, the Barna Group, which is a leading research organization here in the United States, was conducting research that revealed alarming levels of loneliness in America. About 14% of the people they talked to said that they feel lonely all the time. 19% said they felt lonely lonely on a daily basis. 21% said they had felt lonely over the past week. And those who said that they had not recently felt lonely were in the minority. Only 47% said that they had not recently felt lonely. Lonely, meaning that 53% of everybody that we come in contact with, or perhaps 53% of the people in this room, feel lonely on a regular basis. Imagine this reality. This many people, this large, significant percentage of our community that is lonely, and that was prior to the pandemic. A majority of Americans feeling lonely before the pandemic Well, and then we entered a pandemic. Do I have to remind you what we experienced for about two years? I know you try to put it out of your mind, but we had the closure of schools and the closure of work and the closure of church and the closure of restaurants and the closure of parks. Even a park near my house, the basketball rims were taken off the goals so that kids could not play basketball outside. We were told to shelter into place and to isolate Uh, in our homes. People wondered if it was even okay to take a walk in their neighborhoods. And we're not here today to rehash COVID and all all the things that happened during the pandemic. And we're certainly not here today to talk about our varied opinions about the pandemic. I'm talking to you today about loneliness. Certainly what happened through COVID and the isolation of people surely must have increased the loneliness rates uh, in our country. And I, w- I wish I had time and I even thought about maybe, maybe we should do a, a, a series, a message series about this. And I'm not sure you want to hear a whole message series about loneliness. <laughs> but there's a lot to say on this topic and the, the implications spiritually, mentally, and emotionally for those who are lonely. In my research this week, I found it interesting to discover that those who were most likely to be lonely were young people. That's 79% of Generation Z said they are lonely on a regular basis. I said 79%. That's our Generation Z is our teenagers if you're not caught up with your generations. 71% of millennials, that's our 20-something group, said that they are lonely on a regular basis. What is loneliness? Well, we know the feelings of loneliness. There's not a person in this room that hasn't experienced loneliness at some point in their life. Loneliness is isolation. It's a lack of companions. It's been described uh, as abandonment by friends or rejection or sadness or 
unhappiness. There's a lot of emotions and a lot of words that we could probably throw together in an attempt to define what we mean by this feeling of loneliness. And there are so many different causes to loneliness. There are people in this room, you are lonely because you've lost a loved one. We went through a a series of of weeks here a while back. Thank, Thank the Lord we've had a little bit of a break, but we were doing, our pastoral team could tell you, we have we were doing about a funeral a week here at the church for many, many weeks. And Pastor Bloom is here in the room with us today, and he has graciously kind of shared the load with me on preaching funerals. But Pastor Bloom would say to you, he would agree with me that over this past 18 months, we've preached more funerals than we have ever in our lives, ever in our ministry. And I see the faces of some of you in this room who I know uh, that you've lost loved ones, and we have conducted the memorial services for your loved ones and the bible says that we are to mourn with those who mourn i said the bible said we are to mourn with those who mourn i just remind you church we grieve with those who grieve and so i know some of you are lonely and i know also that divorce is a cause of loneliness or the breakup of a relationship sometimes loneliness is the result of moving to a new city some of you here who are moving to a new city and Some of you in the room, you have recently moved to this city and your whole world has been turned upside down and all your social structure is, was left behind and your friends and people, your associates and people that you would hang out with and people that you would know. And you're going to a place where you know, no one. I know what that's like when 21 years ago, I moved to the state of California, not knowing one other person. And then there is retirement that causes loneliness. There are people in the room who recently retired. You worked at a company you worked at a business and you saw this people every day and those people became your family and sometimes you spent more time with your work colleagues than you did with your actual family and now you have retired and while you were excited about retirement you are now reinventing your life and trying to figure out what the next chapter of your life looks like and you don't have those relationships that you once had then there is the changing of jobs or the going to a new school or being a single parent And then there's the loneliness of being elderly and living alone. Maybe you are a widow or a widower and you spent most of your life with your loved one and now they are not there and you come home to an empty house. There's the loneliness. There are so many emotional factors that go along with loneliness. Uh, We could talk about them like discouragement and even depression. Loneliness causes people to feel empty and alone and unwanted. People who are lonely often crave human contact, but the state of their minds makes it more difficult for them to form connection and other people. And it's so easy to say, somebody like me to say, hey, if you're lonely, why don't you go out and make some friends? But if you are in a deep, lonely place, we know that the emotional state of that moment makes it difficult to go out and to be someone who could make friends. I want you to know that um, this condition of loneliness, this struggle that people have, is also found in the Bible. In fact, as I study scripture, I find lots of people who were alone and lots of people who battled loneliness. I think about uh, Noah and his family. Think about it. Everybody else on the earth is gone and you're the only one left, you and your family. You just might be lonely. I think about Abraham. He was called by God to leave his family and his home and to go to a an unfamiliar land where he didn't know anyone. I think about Joseph who was sold into slavery by his own brothers. Before long finds himself in prison for a crime he did not commit. I think about Moses who grew up in Egypt for the first 40 years of his life. And then the next 40 years of his life, he was in the deserts of Midian for 40 years roaming around in very arid, dry land, chasing some sheep around. I think Moses must have been lonely much of that time out in that desert. I think of the prophet Elijah on the run for his life, hiding in caves, and Daniel and the three Hebrew children and Babylon as they have been captured by the Babylonians and taken 900 miles away from their home to a foreign land where they didn't know the language, the people, the culture, or the food, and they were forced to work as slaves. They must have been lonely. The apostle Paul was in prison for many years of his ministry, for doing nothing other than preaching the gospel and for planting churches, and yet he is arrested and awaiting his trial and eventually his execution. 
I, I think Paul must have been lonely during much of that time. And then I think about Jesus, who was abandoned by his own friends when he needed them the most. Maybe on the cross, Jesus must have felt lonely. And when he even cries out to the Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The emotion, the human, human emotion of loneliness even on the cross. I'm here today to tell you that God is concerned about your loneliness. God is concerned about your aloneness. We don't have to get very far in the Bible before we recognize that God deals with this issue of loneliness. In fact, out of all the chapters in the Bible, we only get to the second chapter before we discover that God speaks to the issue of loneliness. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, God's looking at his creation and he looks at Adam in the garden and the Lord God says, hmm, something is not right here. Now, he's been saying as he's looking at his, at his creation, he's like, wow, I look at the vegetation that I created and I look at the animals that I created and I, I, I look at the sun and the moon and I look at the oceans that I created and God's saying, it's a masterpiece, it's beautiful. He said, it is good, it is good, I like that. We, you know, I did a good job with that. Anybody notice I did a good job down there? <laughs> and then he looks at man and he says, wait a minute, wait a minute, something here is not good. Something is not good. In the second chapter of the Bible, God says it is not good for man to be alone. It's not good for people to be alone. God is concerned about our aloneness. Can I say to you, friend, today, it's not God's will for you to be lonely. It is not God's will for you to be lonely. And I don't say that in a way that is condemning to you, like you shouldn't be lonely. I'm not saying it that way. I'm saying to you today that God's concerned about your loneliness and he wants to meet that need in your life. And that's what I'd like to talk about for the next few minutes. Psalm 142, if you have your Bible, is a prayer. It's a prayer by David. And in my Bible, I don't know how, well, your Bible, if your Bible has it the same way, the Bible publisher in many Bibles puts a little heading above some chapters and some sections in the Bible. And in Psalm 142 in my Bible, this is the heading that the Bible publisher has Give us a little hint about what this chapter is about. And it says, when he was in the cave. When he was in the cave. It's a prayer when David was in the cave. And this is what it says, verse 1. David said, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell him my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look and see. He's talking to the Lord. He says, look, look, Lord, look around. There is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for my life. No one's concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares about my life. David is literally saying, God, nobody cares about me. Verse 5, I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me. We'll talk about that in a moment. For they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. I want you to catch that last phrase again. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. David, as a boy, lived in Bethlehem. He lived in a family. His father's name was Jesse. He had seven brothers. Their family was in the sheep business. They were shepherds. As a boy, David had the responsibility. I'm sure this was passed down from the boys. The youngest son had the responsibility of being out in the field most of the time. And I'm wondering maybe if David was lonely out in those fields, no one to talk to, just the sheep. If you've ever tried to talk to sheep... Well, I guess that's what I do every Sunday is talk to sheep. I guess I, I don't know. It's just a joke, people. It's just a joke. Actually, I just thought of that right now. I just thought of that right now. Yeah, just thought of that. I'm sure it must have been lonely out in those fields watching those sheep. But one day, God speaks to a prophet named Samuel. See, Saul is the king at this time, and Saul's not doing a good job. He was the first king of Israel. 
And the Lord speaks to the prophet and he says, I want you to go down to Bethlehem. And he said, I want you to go to the house of Jesse because I have chosen one of his sons to be the next king. And so he arrives, he calls Jesse, he says, he says, you know, Jesse said, hey, whoa, the prophet, the man of God came to my house. Let's have some dinner together. Let's have barbecue. And, 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 and the prophet says, we're not doing anything until we obey God. Go get your sons. And Jesse goes and gets the seven sons with no mention of David. Now, boy, I mean, think about that for a moment. When, when you're called to go get your sons, the father didn't even think about him because surely... Surely it couldn't be that one out there in the field. Surely it couldn't be little David. Surely it couldn't be him. When the first son comes out, the firstborn comes out. He's a big, tall, strong guy. And the Bible says that Samuel looks at him and he thinks, mm, boy, that's the one right there. That's the one. Look at him. Look at his stature. He kind of look, looks like a king, right? I think he, this, I, you know, maybe God can work with that. It, he, looks, he looks pretty good. And the Lord says, that's not the one. That's not the one. He said, you know what? People look on the outside. God said, but I look on the heart. I know what's on the inside. And so then he goes to the next second born, not him either. Looks at the third born, not him, fourth born, fifth born, sixth, seventh. And, and the Lord says no to all seven of them. And the prophet is confused in this moment. And says, I know the Lord told me to come to this house. You're Jesse, right? Is your name Jesse? Yeah, I'm at the right house. Jesse, do you have any more sons? Oh, oh well, yeah, I mean, you know. <laughs> he says, we're not going to sit down until you get that boy in here. Somebody goes and gets him, and the Spirit of the Lord comes upon the prophet. He says, that's the one I've chosen. And he takes the anointing oil, which was their custom, representing the Holy Spirit of God's selection, and he pours the oil on his head, and it runs down on David, and he is selected. And the family is shocked. The family can't believe it. That God would choose him. Not long after this, you can read the story in 1 Samuel, that there is a war between the Israelites and the Philistines, and... The brothers are all in the army. They have been drafted into the army. They're, they're serving their country. David's not old enough yet to go. But the father said, hey, I'd like you to go down to where the fighting is going on. And I'd like you to go to the camp of the Israelites. And I want you to take some bread and some cheese. Give the boys the food that they need. And ask what's going on so you can bring me back a report of what's happening. And you know the story. I don't have time to tell it. As Goliath comes out. And God eventually uses this boy to kill Goliath. From that moment on, David was hanging out around the palace quite a bit. And the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 16 that this, this is sobering words. The spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. The spirit of the Lord departed. In fact, it even says that an evil spirit enters him. When David is coming back into town after killing Goliath, the people are in the streets and they're celebrating. You can imagine their enemy has been killed. They, they've won the battle. They've won the victory. And they're dancing and they're partying and they're celebrating in the, in the streets. And they're singing a song in the streets that they made up. And the song goes like this. Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul hears those words and bitter jealousy rises up within him. And not long after that, David was in the palace and he was playing his, the lyre. He's playing the instrument for the king. And king, the king had a spear in his hand. He said, I know what I'm going to do. I read the verse this morning. He said, I'm going to throw this. I'm going to pin him to the wall. And he throws the spear at David. And David jumps out of the way and runs out. And scripture says in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 28, that when Saul realized that the Lord was with David, he became still more afraid of him. And he remained his enemy for the rest of his days. Here's what happens. For the next four years of his life, David is on the run from King Saul and his army. For the next four years, David is a fugitive. For the next four years, he's on the run for his life, hiding wherever he can hide. Can you imagine loneliness? I don't know about your loneliness today, but I can imagine David was an extremely lonely man, always looking over his shoulder, always trying to find a place to hide, always trying to find a place of safety, always trying to find his next meal or his next drink of water, just trying to survive. And then we come to 1 Samuel chapter 22. I have the words on the screen, verses 1 and 2. It says, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Where his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. 
David is running from King Saul, and he finds this cave in a place called Adullam. And it seems like a good hiding place, but somehow word has gotten out of where David is. His family finds out, his friends find out, and then some other folks begin to find out. And then before long, 400 people are gathered with David in this cave. It's kind of hard to hide 400 men. But I want you to notice what the scripture says about this group of men uh, that were hiding with David. It says all those that gathered with him were three things, were in distress, or they were in debt, or they were discontented. Now, it's a motley crew, isn't it? This is not the kind of people you would hang out with. You know who was with David in this cave? Everybody else who was on the run. Everybody else who was trying to hide from the law. Everybody else was out there. They're hiding now with him. And it reminds me when we were kids and we were playing hide-and-go-seek. How many of you played hide-and-go-seek when you were kids? How many of you still play that game today? But... You know, when you were a kid and you were playing hide-and-go-seek and you found what you thought was a good spot and you're hiding and the next thing you know, your friend wants to hide in the same spot with you. And you're like, hey, this is my spot. You need to go find your own spot, right? What are you doing, right? Surely that's how David must have felt. This is my cave. I found this cave. Next thing you know, 400 people are here. But I want you to notice this prayer, if you still have your Bible open. David invites God to look around and see that there's no one there. Now, some of you might say, well, wait a minute. Isn't, aren't there 400 people here? How could David be alone? And there's 400 people here. How many of you know, and maybe you've experienced, that you can be in a large crowd of people and still be alone? That in our country, we know this by studies and statistics, that some of the loneliest places in America are major cities. There's people all around you, but no true friends, no one who understands you. He was alone, humanly speaking. He could not escape. He felt there was no one who understood him or cared about him. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there today. And you feel alone. And you feel like there's no one who understands you. Maybe you're saying to yourself, there's no one who gets me. There's no one I can talk to. There's no one that I can bear my soul with. There's no one that I can be truly honest and vulnerable with in my life. And I, I just kind of feel isolated in that way. I feel lonely sometimes in that way. Maybe today you're feeling down and you think that your hope is in God is, has, has vanished. And maybe you even feel abandoned by God himself. But I want to just remind you today that our feelings are not always honest with us. And just because we feel a certain way doesn't mean that it's absolutely true. The God of heaven does know what we are feeling. The God of eternity does understand what we are feeling. And most of all, he is there for us. And he is here for you today as you came into this service. You didn't even know that we we're going to be talking about loneliness today. But God loves you enough to bring you to this place to tell you that he's concerned about your loneliness. And that he's with you in it. He's with you. I love this prayer from David because it, it reveals a man who refuses to let his feelings cut him off from God. What happens sometimes is we listen to our feelings. We listen to those emotions that we feel. It actually drives us further into the loneliness. It drives us further into the discouragement and further into the discouragement. Oh, today my prayer is that you would listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. My prayer today is that you would hear the voice of God reminding you that he does love you, that he is for you, that he is with you, that you'll never be alone, that there's not one moment of your life that truly you've ever been alone. For my God has promised, I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. He's promised, I'll be with you to the very end. I will be there for you. We learned some things from this powerful prayer from David as he's hiding out in this cave. We learn that it's okay to be honest with God about our loneliness. Did you know it's okay to tell the Lord how you feel? It's okay to let the Lord know. It's okay. He can handle it. He can handle it. He says in verses 1 and 2, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before God. He's actually complaining to God. I'm telling God my trouble. This is the king elect. He's not in a palace. He's in a cave in the middle of nowhere. He can close his eyes and he can still feel the oil running down his neck as the prophet Samuel anointed him for his task. What's going on, God? I thought that I was selected. I thought I was chosen. I was out there minding my own business, watching the sheep. But God, you came to my house. You called my name. You anointed me with oil. You selected me. I thought I was going to be the king. 
I thought I had a purpose. I thought I had a calling on my life. But Lord, for the past four years, I've been running around the wilderness hiding, just trying to stay alive. That's what he's telling the Lord. I'm hiding out with a group of 400 people. They're on the run too. Hoping nobody will find them. And he's thinking, no one cares for my soul. And he's feeling abandoned and rejected, hunted by Saul, abandoned by his friends. He's simply being honest with God. It was here this week in my study that I wrote these notes. I asked this question, do you pray honest prayers? Do you pray honest prayers? When you pray, do you pretend to be super spiritual? Do you pretend to have it all together? Do you pretend to, you know, project it? I know I've got to have strong faith. I'm, I'm here to tell you it's okay to be honest with the Lord. Did you know it's okay to say, Lord, today I'm struggling? Did you know it's okay to say, Lord, today my faith is weak? Did you say, Lord, I'm battling with some doubt today. I need you to help me. God, I'm feeling alone today. Where are you, Lord, in the middle of all that? It's okay to pray those honest prayers from the Lord. You know why it's, it's okay to do that? It's because God knows how you feel already anyway. Even if you don't verbalize it, God already knows that it's okay to be honest with the Lord in prayer. But something begins to happen. And you see this progression in the scripture. Something happens in this lonely place. And I think something can happen today in your lonely place. David begins to remember something. He begins to remember something. He begins to remember his relationship with God. Perhaps he's remembering what it was like to be a child out all alone in the pasture with the sheep. No one was around, but the Lord was with him. And today, if you are lonely, I want you to begin to remember the Lord in your life. I want you to remember God's faithfulness. I want you to remember what he has done. Remember that he will never leave you or forsake you. Will you remember that? Will you remember that? I want you to remember that the Lord has always been there for you. I want you to remember that he's always provided. He's always protected. He's always been there. Every hardship, every difficulty, everything you went through, God was there. You weren't alone. The Lord was with you. I want you to recognize that no matter what your circumstances, God is enough for you. Some of you need to write that down. God is is enough for me. He's enough for me. In that cave, David had to learn a valuable lesson that would serve him all the days of his life. This lesson was essential for him to learn in order to fulfill his calling as a king. I believe that God will orchestrate the steps of our lives so that you and I too can learn this lesson. God is enough for us. He's enough. Verse 5, he says, I cry to you, Lord, I say, you are my refuge, my portion. You're my portion, Lord, in the land of the living. God, I may not have friends, but you're enough. I might not have anybody around me, but you are enough. I may not know where my next meal's coming from, but you are enough. I may not have shelter over my head, but Lord, you are enough. You are my portion. You, Lord, supply everything that I need. I love the encouragement from the Bible in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2. He says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. He says, when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. He didn't just say, I know when you go through the waters. He said, I will be with you there. David said in Psalm 27, verse 10, even if my father or mother abandoned me, the Lord will hold me close. Maybe you've been abandoned by your parents, but God's never abandoned you. He will never abandon you. He will be a father to the fatherless. That's what the Bible says. The Apostle Paul, he was on trial giving his own defense before the Romans, which led to his martyrdom and his execution. Paul said this, he said, at my first defense, 2 Timothy 4.16, he said, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them, the compassion of Paul's heart. He said, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. When all my friends come running out, God walked in the door. When everybody else abandoned me, God walked in and God showed up at my time of need. You need to learn this, friend, today. Somebody, God brought you here just to remind you he's enough. God is enough for you. 
No matter what the circumstance, I don't mean to diminish the circumstances of your life. You may be going through some very difficult circumstances of your life. But friend, whatever you are facing today, God is enough for you. He's enough. He's enough. He's enough. Third, we see in this wonderful prayer that a change in perspective leads to a changed future. So many of us, we just need a change in perspective. We've been focused on the wrong things. That's why the writer in the New Testament says you ought to fix your eyes on Jesus. That means intentionally set your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Don't get distracted by the cares of life. Don't worry, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. What you're, don't you know God already knows all about that? He said, don't worry about that. Don't get your eyes on that. Fix your eyes upon the Lord. But friends, when you got the wrong perspective, it's hard to see clearly. When you got the wrong perspective, it's hard to see the Lord and how he works and what he's going to do. And sometimes our loneliness blurs our emotional vision. Our perception is off and we don't see clearly. When you're lonely and discouraged, sometimes that's all you can see and that's all you can feel. But a change in perspective leads to a changed future. Something begins to happen in David's heart and life when he worships. I want to say that again because that's a key point here. Something begins to happen in David's heart and mind when he worships. He's he's saying, I'm crying out to God. I'm telling you, God, about all my problems. But right in the middle of the prayer, there is a subtle shift. And the Lord helps him begin to get a new perspective. And in the middle of this complaining to God, he says this. He says, Lord, you are my portion. You are enough for me. Something happened in his heart when he began to worship. So I'm here today to tell you that if you are lonely, you need to worship. And if you are discouraged here this morning, you need to worship Jesus. And if you are depressed today, you need to pick yourself up with all the strength you have and worship your Savior. And if you are anxious, you should worship. And if you are afraid, you should worship. And if you are stressed out to the max, you should worship. And if you say, I can't take it anymore, you should worship. You should worship. Worship changes our perspectives and it lifts our eyes to see Jesus. A change in perspective leads to a changed future. David would not stay in this cave forever. And friend, neither will you. Neither will you. God has a plan. He has a purpose. He has a future. He cares about your loneliness and he doesn't want you to stay lonely. In verse 7, He says, set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. That I may praise your name. Finally, as the worship team comes, finally. I want you to miss this last point. This is so important. The goodness of God leads us to life-giving community with others. The goodness of God leads us to life-giving community with others. At the end of his prayer, he makes a declaration by faith. He says something by faith. It hasn't happened yet, but he believes it's going to happen and he verbalizes his faith. Let me ask you, do you ever speak words of faith? You, be, you believe it in your heart, but did you know it's okay to say, Lord, I believe. I believe. Maybe, maybe you have family members that don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord. You're praying for them. You are believing for their salvation. It's okay to say, I believe Jesus is going to save my family. It's okay to say, Jesus, I'm lonely, but I believe I'm not going to stay lonely. I believe somehow you're going to get me out of this dark hole. You're going to get me out of this emotional place. It's okay to verbalize that faith. David tells the Lord, I believe that because of your goodness, I'm not going to be lonely anymore. He says in verse 7, the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. Let me say this again. It's not God's will for you to be lonely. He has something better for you. He wants to meet that need in your life. He wants to fill that hole. He wants to bring light into that darkness. It's not God's will for you to isolate yourself from other people. Because that's often what lonely people do. It's because of their troubled emotional state. And I don't mean that with any disrespect. I'm not saying that we're crazy or we have mental problems. I'm just talking about discouragement. That sometimes we... When we're lonely, we, we actually make it worse because we isolate ourselves from others. I believe that we are the loneliest generation 
ever in history. And the statistics are proving that point. We are the loneliest generation. We've never been more connected, but we've never been more lonely. There was a time back in the day, and you can see all the generational changes that has brought us to a place of loneliness. But there was a time back in the day, back in history, when if you wanted to hear what was happening, you wanted to know what was going on, you wanted to hear the news, you went to a local diner. People talk, people talk, you went to a cafe somewhere and people were talking and people were sharing. And then the newspaper was invented. And we didn't have to have conversations that much anymore. We would read the news. We could do that by ourselves. But then people would still go to work and at the water cooler or at the coffee pot, we'd have conversations. But now so many don't even go to work anymore. They work remote and they work online and we're in our homes. People would often go gather and people would get, go to the movie theater, watch it. But now you don't even have to have a TV. You can watch it on your phone. We live our lives in private and we come home from work and we open the garage door and we pull in our car in the garage and then we push the button. Before we ever get out of the car, the garage door is closed. God forbid we might have to see our neighbor. <laughs> I, I'm as guilty as anybody else. I love, love parking in the garage. I love I'm just saying we are the most isolated generation, the loneliest generation ever. And we're starting to see the implications of that all people's lives. But today, I want you to know that God created us for community. You have a longing inside of you that is a God-given longing to know and to be known, to have community. And God himself created a solution for our loneliness. Not only has he given us himself to be with us, but he has also given us each other. He's given us this beautiful thing called the church. The church. The church is God's gift to us so that we won't be lonely. So that we won't live our lives by ourselves, but that we would live our lives in the context of community. Pastor Lauren, how do you know? Well, the very first snapshot we have in the scripture of the local church is found in Acts chapter 2 after the day of Pentecost. And in verse 44, it gives us this beautiful description in this paragraph. But in verse 44, it says these words, all the believers were together. They were together. They were, if you go on and read, it says they were sharing their lives together and having meals together and hanging out together and praying for one another and staying in the word together. They were together. You see, God's plan for his church is not a weekly service. God's plan for his church is not that it's an event once a week that we go to on a Sunday morning and then for the rest of the week we say, I went to church on Sunday. That is not the church. This gathering in this room that we're sitting in right now is not the church. It's a worship gathering. It's a time to be encouraged. It's a time where we come together to be edified. But the church is you and I. And today, in just a few moments, when this service is over, the church is going to leave the building. And we're going to go out to the community. The church is a group of people who share life and faith together. As we share our lives, we develop beautiful friendships. And these friendships cause our faith to grow. Let me say these words to you today. I want you to hear this in your heart. There is no concept of isolated Christianity in the New Testament. Let me say it again. There is no concept of isolated Christianity in the New Testament. I have read the New Testament over and over and over and over again. The idea that a person would be a believer apart from the church, that concept would be foreign to the New Testament writers. It doesn't exist. You can look, you can search. It's not there. It's God's will for us to be together. And this togetherness requires faithfulness on our parts. It requires commitment and dedication and self-sacrifice and the giving of ourselves to one another, to be a blessing to one another, to meet needs in one another's lives and to push past our feelings and our tiredness and our loneliness and to, to reach out to one another. That's what it requires of us. But it meets the need that we have inside of us. So I want to just encourage you with these words today. Find a group of believers and commit to them. There's one verse in the New Testament that says all the believers belong to all the others. 
And, and we in our generation have come up with this phrase, a personal relationship with God. We talk about, it's just me and God. I don't really need anybody else in God. And so today we have people, I invite people all the time in our community church, and they say, I like Jesus, I just don't like church. And what, what I want to say is, how can you love Jesus and not love what Jesus loves? But I know most often if somebody says that, that means they've been wounded in a church. And I know, I know that happens, and I usually I, I apologize for whatever, I wasn't even a part of it, hopefully, but whatever the event was, I, I, I apologize for that. But the church is broken because we're broken. And there's all kinds of things. And if you're new here, I, I often jokingly say in our newcomers class, stick around long enough and we'll give you a chance to forgive us. Right? Right. <laughs> we're, we're, we're just people. We, people make mistakes, and people say things the wrong way. And, Find a group of believers and stick with it. There are wonderful churches in this community. This morning I was praying, calling out churches by name, asking God to bless those churches and bless those pastors. We need every church to be in Santa Maria to be a strong church and a gospel-centered church, a bible every church, every church. But I want to encourage you to find a church home, find a family. We'd love to welcome you here at Pacific Christian. But if for whatever reason, this is not your home, we lovingly suggest you go find a home, find a spiritual home and make a commitment to those group of group of believers, because we love you enough to say that to you. We want that for you to find the place that's God's fit for you so that you can know and that you can be known. You ever been a hitchhiker? Ever been a hitchhiker? (laughs) Pastor Bloom was a hitchhiker. I saw him the other day, I started to pick him up, but I wasn't sure, you know, just, you know, but. I don't suggest hitchhiking, right? But I've discovered there's a lot of folks who are spiritual hitchhikers. They're over here for a little bit, then they're over there for a little bit, then they're over here, and they're over there, and over there, whatever. You need a family, you need a home. You need a spiritual home. Find it, if it's not here, find that home for you which meets that need for loneliness in your own life. Proverbs 18, verse 24 says, there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Jesus is that friend. He's here for you today. This relationship that we have with Jesus is only possible because of Christ's sacrifice for our sins. And that's what we celebrate today. I wonder if you'd stand to your feet, everybody all across this auditorium. Thank you for allowing me Share the word of the Lord with you today. With our heads bowed just for a moment. Our heads bowed all over the room. Just a reverent moment. We're going to share in communion and we're going to close. With our heads bowed. How many of you today would say by lifted hand, Pastor Lauren, I needed, I needed this word today. Would you just lift your hand? Let me see your hand. I'm going to pray for you today. I needed this word today. Maybe I've battled some loneliness. I've felt isolated. I've struggled. Many hands lifted here today. You know what? Me too. Me too. I needed this word today. Lord, you saw every hand raised here today, but more importantly, you see our hearts. Jesus, you love us so much. You care about our loneliness. I pray today you would strengthen my brothers and sisters. Remind them that you will never leave them. You will never forsake them. I pray, God, that you would meet this emotional need that we have deep inside. That you will give them an abundance of joy and relationships that provide comfort and strength and help in their time of need. Not only would you provide good friends for them, but I pray you would help them to be a friend to someone that is in need. And Jesus, today we know that you are the friend that sticks closer than a brother. And if there's any in this room who has not met Jesus and does not have friendship with Jesus, that today would be the day they would confess Jesus as their Savior and their Lord. When you came in this morning, one of our members of our greeter team gave you a communion cup. If you would please take that at this time. The Apostle Paul giving instruction from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, 
This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What a beautiful opportunity for us to gather. Communion, you know, you can take the bread and the cup by yourself, but it's meant to be done together. Hence the word communion, community. We're sharing the life of Jesus together. A broken piece of bread representing the broken body of our Savior and a cup of juice representing his shed blood, just symbols that keep the cross of Jesus front and center in this church and in our lives to remember him and his sacrifice. Can we take the bread together? Thank you, Jesus. And in remembrance of his shed blood, can we take this cup together? Come on, let's lift our hands to Jesus all over this house. In gratitude, hearts of gratitude, come on. If you're able and you're willing, lift your hands to the Lord all over this house. Come on, just a moment of gratitude to Jesus. Lord, we love you. Jesus, we praise you. Thank you for the cross of Calvary where you laid down your very life so that we could have forgiveness of sins and abundant life. And Jesus, to be our friend. Oh, we love you this morning. We love you this morning, Jesus. We praise you today. We give you glory and we give you honor. And invite our prayer partners, if you will, to come. And if you need prayer this morning, it's an incredibly important topic on loneliness. We want to pray with you. We want to be with you this morning. Once again, thank you for joining us for today's podcast. Special thanks to those of you who give so generously to make this ministry possible. If God has put it on your heart to give, please visit our website at pacificchristian.net. And if you enjoyed today's message, please consider subscribing, sharing with your friends on social media, and giving us a rating in iTunes. This will enable us to expand our reach and share the message of Christ with more people. Until next time, God bless.